It's White Coat Wednesday, so medical correspondent Dr. Mitch Shulman is here. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you, sir. So uh, male birth control has always been something people talk about and about which we never seem to quite achieve, but there's been a new development. Yeah. So it's never quite achieved because most of the time we're looking at manipulation of the hormone system within uh, people's men's bodies. And we know, one, that's difficult. And two, it takes time for a manipulation in your hormone levels to translate itself into a reduction in sperm uh, functionality, fertility, whatever you want to use as your denominator. Uh, But they have found that there's a specific inhibitor, something that it's called soluble adenocyclase inhibitor. So this was an injection that was being done in mice for another reason, but they looked at what happened in the sperm of the mice, and lo and behold, it was literally as if a switch had been turned off. In other words, the sperm stopped moving for the couple of hours that the medication was on board and working. So is this ready for prime time? Not yet. But it certainly provides us with a completely different avenue of approaching this whole question of of male contraception, which is obviously extremely important, Uh, something that might work fairly quickly, something that you could turn on and off fairly quickly, and something which so far doesn't appear to affect other systems within the body. But it's a far cry from an injection which you might take under specific circumstances to something that most men would be willing to use. The reticence of men, for example, to treat their diabetes properly by injecting themselves or by giving themselves injections of other medications for medical reasons, uh, you can understand why there might be some difficulty in this becoming widespread. But certainly a brand new pathway, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that maybe something becomes of this. So there's a new study that suggests there may be a genetic link to ADHD. Yeah, this is fascinating. Now, if you have spoken to um, families uh, with children with ADHD or even adults with ADHD, there certainly does seem to be something going on within the family, uh, within the cohort of uh, relatives. And so this study in Nature Genetics basically looked at a massive number of people and basically looked at their genes and compared to the controls and basically were able to find that there were certain genes, I think a group of 27 ones, which in different variations and forms seem to be more frequent in people with ADHD. And all these genes, or most of them, or many of them, had to do with early brain development. Now, we know from functional MRI studies, those are magnetic resonance imaging studies, which look at the brain when it's actually working uh, and by checking the flow of oxygen or other things to different parts of the brain. We know that from functional MRI testing that there are differences in the brains and how the brain processes information in people with ADHD compared to the people without it. So there's something here. Uh, certainly, it's not good enough yet that we can use it to help us make the diagnosis, although we have very strong clinical tools, questions and behavioral patterns that we can check into to help us make that diagnosis. But again, showing that this is not a function of uh, volition or attitude, but there are specific genetic things that are going on in the brains of these people, which means that we may be able to help them. It also points out the importance of early brain development. And again, anything we can do to protect it and protect the early baby's brain and the early feed brain as it's developing.
It's an interesting phenomenon because I often reflect on the fact that we've only talked about things like ADHD for, I don't know, maybe the last 50 years or so. So, you know, back in the 1700s, how did it manifest itself in a person and how were they, how was their behavior or their interaction interpreted? You know, and it's a brilliant question because think about what ADHD people basically have. The most important concern or the most important presenting complaint is uh, an inability to control their impulses, right? They're always moving there. They just don't have good impulse control. Well, maybe someone like that might have been a knight in the days of yore or might have gotten into excessive trouble with the feudal lord in the days of yore. So definitely something that is of interest in terms of how it evolved, what was it manifesting itself as? How did that evolution change over time? We're certainly seeing more of it now. And the question is, why are we seeing more of it? Partly is we're better at diagnosing it. Uh, remember, before we thought that it didn't exist in adulthood, and we know that's not true. Um, so as we become better at diagnosing things, we're finding more of it. But the real question becomes, how can we help these people cope with our uh, civilization much more effectively? And there's a lot still to be done in that direction. A lot of people will perk up when we say something about there being a new wave of cancer treatments. What's the nature of that? This is fascinating. So if you've been following cancer therapy, you know that we start off with surgery and radiotherapy, which still have their base uh, place. Chemotherapy, which initially started off by really, really nasty medications that just killed cells and weren't very discriminatory, to much more, much more specific targeted chemotherapy that seemed to basically target specific pathways that were unique to the cancer cells and therefore had much less toxicity for the rest of the body to now immune therapy. And immune therapy has just taken off. And in some cases, we've been able to target the immune cells, take off the break that keeps them from attacking cancer cells. Well, this is what this new CAR, what they call CAR-T cell therapy. And CAR-T basically stands for chimeric antigen receptor uh, T cell therapy. What they do is they take a person's T cells, which are some one of their families of white blood cells, take them, modify them by injecting them with something, multiply them in, in a tremendous amount, and then re-inject them into the person. And these hypervigilant, hyper-turned-on, many more white cells specifically target the cancer and attack it with tremendous results in certain forms of cancer. And that's the problem. Right now, it's limited to the blood cancers, the leukemias, the lymphomas. We still don't have something like that for the solid tumors, lung, breast, colon, etc. So a lot more work to be done, but it just shows you how our therapies have evolved in the last ooh, five or 10 or 15 years. Thank you, Dr. Mitch. So good to have you. Always a pleasure. You have a great day.